0: In Matthew 419, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers podcast. Hello and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers podcast. I'm your host today, Mark Danzi, and I have with me today, Dr. Jay Hughes. Jay, thanks for being with us.
1: Glad to be here. This is going to be fun. It sure is. And you
0: just returned. Uh, You're in a a cool tie and a suit. I've never seen you in a suit and tie, but you just returned from the governor's breakfast. The governor yeah. of the state of Georgia had a prayer breakfast and you were invited
1: and were yeah, there. one of the prayers. So you're all prayed up and we're yes, grateful. Yes, I got to, uh, you know, cast my wares in front of other prayers of different <laughs> denominations. I think I was the um, token mainline denomination guy. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so.
0: Well, you're prayed up, we're prayed up. And today uh, we're excited about uh, what he's going to share with us, um, because I think some of these things are going to be helpful to you as you live out God's call of making disciples of Jesus. And so, Jay, tell us a little bit about you and um, kind
1: of how you came to faith. Well, I uh, had a couple of good things happen to me early on. You know, both my parents were very active in the church. Uh, my dad was a Baptist. My mom was a Methodist, and we were ha- living in Macon at the time, where is my dad is from. So, we were going to a Baptist church then, and uh, we were attending worship during the summertime. The Ingleside Baptist Church had their evening worship, remember those? (laughs) Uh, At night, outside. And so I remember sitting in the the congregation, we were in chairs. I was about nine years old. And I remember looking up through the trees at the stars. (laughs) And uh, I felt this yearning, this pulling, this tugging, and uh, I just had no idea what it was. I I really didn't. And (laughs) so I talked to my mom about it later, and she said, You need to accept Jesus, which, you know, I think if I'd have said that my foot hurts, she'd have gone, You need to accept Jesus. (laughs) And so, in very traditional uh, Baptist style, I walked the aisle about three weeks later and got baptized at that point. Mm. And so I I share that story because I spent the next maybe 15, 20 years trying to decide if it was real. Mm. You know, I was nine years old. I knew more about what it meant to be a Christian at 12 and in 15 and in 18 and at 22 than I did at at nine, and so I would go back to it and say, "Well, did it really start there?" And I uh, came to the understanding that yes, it did start there, and uh, yes, I I was expected to grow, to get better, to know more, to understand it more fully, and to and to look about at the experience that uh, uh, from a mature perspective, that there was a I responded in the manner in which I understood to respond. As a nine-year-old, I mean, I was still believing in Santa Claus at the time, so (laughs) you know, it was like Jesus, sure, Santa Claus is even better, (laughs) kind of a thing. And so, um, but uh, it, the lifetime that follows uh, didn't devalue that moment when Mm. I accepted Christ. And uh, mainly, what I keep going back to with that was it was definitely not something I manufactured within myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a. Uh, a feeling that I because yeah, you didn't even really understand the feeling. Exactly. And I think that makes it seem more real or it is makes it more real in my perceiving of it in that I didn't know I had I know I had to do something. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what. And uh, fortunately, I had, you know, a, a mom who was a very spiritual person hmm. and was able to interpret that for me. And Interpreted in that way, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, well, she could have been thank goodness
0: she didn't just farm you out to the church and say, Oh, oh you know, you need go to go to, talk
1: to the preacher or right. anything like that. She yes. knew she knew how to share this whole faith journey with you. Yeah, she was, um, mom was a very active, you know, church person and growing up herself, but also a very active teacher, uh, mm-hmm. as a young person and as a young mother and all that. So, you know, she had a high level of spiritual, which really was. Uh, very characteristic of our lives, that we were uh, we were not your typical church-going people. <laughs> when we were in Germany, you know, we, my dad was in the Army, so we were stationed in Germany in my high school years. Uh, it was not unusual to have mom get called out of the house to deal with demon possession issues. Wow. Among the, the military families. And, uh, you know, I never really got involved in that. I kind of watched it happen. Mm-hmm. And... You know, she would be involved in going over to somebody's house and uh, and talking with a teenager or talking with a young adult or something along those lines uh, where they would do uh, exorcisms. Wow. And so that that kind of put a different tint on spiritual experiences that I had early on. And so, you know, mom was the real thing, still is the real thing. Yeah. But, you know, she's still alive. She's 84. Uh, and uh, a legacy. yeah. And so, so, when did you know from you accepted Christ uh,
0: that God really had a plan for you and a purpose for your life? When did you recognize that?
1: Well, I got, uh, I received the call into the ministry in between my freshman and uh, sophomore year of college. So I, I knew what was, what it was inspected of me at that point. And this was more than you just had a rough weekend, right? Right. Okay. I mean, no, I actually had a vision. Oh. And, you know, it's, and which is kind of interesting as you, uh, I was sort of raised right in many ways, uh, and that came after that because it, during that summer, uh, had a vision, and it was and the way I explained it to people is like a carpet unrolling, and there would be scenes that would pop up hmm. of me doing things, and all these scenes were me preaching, and so not only did I see it as a call in the ministry, but I saw it as a call into the pastoral ministry as well, and and yeah. so that I'm still doing that today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I yeah, you know, I was ordained with a class of about fifteen other ministers in 1982, and I'm the only one that's still in the pastoral ministry. They're all doing something else. How about that in you know in church life? But that's some good stick to itness there. Well, it was you know I felt it felt like I've had to defend that a couple times over the years. Like, why are you here?
0: <laughs> it's kind of the
1: thing. And uh, because the. Uh, you know, you know, for one reason or another, they felt like maybe I should be a teacher in a seminary. Uh, maybe I needed to be doing something simpler else. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a kind way of putting it. We're going to ask you to move today. <laughs> so, but the I uh, said, so that's my call is to do this. I, I know mm-hmm. that you know, there, are, there are certain insights that I have on things, but I'd rather share them with lay people than with seminary students. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, that was always my answer, and that would still be my answer today. So when did so? A
0: lot of pastors, uh, ministers are focused on their ministry and everything, but this concept of disciple making is really something that can be new to a lot of a lot of church leaders and stuff. But not for you. You've been doing this for a long time. You yeah. were you were introduced to disciple making, obviously, many many years ago. Yeah, in college. In college. And so, how has that um, affected your personal life and your your ministry and, and what you do?
1: Well, it, I'd say that perceptually, it's had a, an impact on me in the sense that I I see ministry is not something that I do. Actually, I see ministry as something that's done to me. Hmm. And so, the way in which I process that is, I'm not in the ministry. Fortunately. <laughs> for all the wonderful good that I'm going to do for the world and transforming humanity so that we can all, you know, get to Mars safely. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, the ministry is what God is doing to me through it. It's not a selfish kind of thing. It's it's the, the caliber of person that I think I am today would not be there if I hadn't been in the ministry, you that? know, and because God has seen to it that I have been in situations which are, well, beyond my skill sets, well, beyond my personality, well, beyond my comfort zone, pretty much the entire experience of what 40 something years now. And so, uh, you know, the confidence that I have in God would have been so easy to push to the side, to ignore, to compartmentalize if I was a layperson mm-hmm. doing what, what I really want to do is, you know, uh, work in aviation. Because yeah. that's been my passion. Mm-hmm. And I found ways to do aviation. While this is all going on, too, mm-hmm. but if I only went to church once a week and and didn't know somebody who was a disciple making mentor type relationship with me, then my understanding of God and my understanding of uh, what Christ has done and my understanding of the everyday life would have been nowhere near what it is. I, it's hard to quantify in terms that make any sense to people, but mm-hmm. you know my. And it also is hard to quantify in terms that doesn't make it sound kind of selfish that, yeah you know, it's all, my whole life is about me. <laughs> and, uh, but that's been what I wanted to communicate with people through discipling. That, you know, your whole life is about you mm-hmm. and what God's going to do with you in your life. And mm-hmm. yes, but you know, the, the decision that you're going to have to make at some point is whether or not God's going to do this better than you are mm-hmm. with your life. And so my testimony to you is, you know, every decision that I've ever had a, big part in has not been as good as the ones where I didn't. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> That's a statement. <laughs> and so.
0: That's quite a statement. So you were sharing with me earlier, um, for the listeners today, Jay and I are in a group with uh, four other pastors where we are all coming together uh, to focus on our own skills set, mm-hmm. so to speak, in disciple making. You were sharing a concept uh, earlier with me of three things, that kind of three stages of Christianity and all. Yeah. I, I really think
1: our listeners are going to enjoy that. Why don't you share that? When I was over the years I've tried to be relevant uh, I have two very very smart daughters who are millennials <laughs> and yeah. so yeah, they they don't hesitate and actually and I watched them how they tra- treated my youth directors they just worked them over <laughs> now you couldn't use jargon with my with my daughters they would because they would ask questions like why and when and where are we supposed to do this kind of thing and so I've tried to uh, when I was early on, I'm talking about as a teenager talking with people because I was very curious about being a Christian and I'd ask questions and nobody could answer my questions. Mm. And I'm talking about my Sunday school teacher, uh, you know, pastors and that kind of thing because I, you know, I was really struggling with faith. I mean, how do I know when I have faith mm. was the main question. And actually, I, I read Billy Graham's book <laughs> on faith, that, that really helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say, like, so what is faith? How do I know when I have faith? And the answer: well, you've got to believe. I said, well, how do you believe? Well, you know, you got to have faith. And it's like, <laughs> really? Is that the answer you got? And so I kinda, a, little,
0: a little circular. <laughs> yes.
1: And so I sort of dedicated myself at that point that if I'm going to be a minister, I'm going to be able to answer people's questions. I'm going to find an answer. It's going to be a good answer. It's going to be uh, something that makes sense. It's not going to be something that is just chock full of jargon that I have to explain the words in the sentence before I can explain the sentence. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in part of my reflection, I uh, in particularly working in disciple groups and, and watching men and women work through their spiritual growth experiences, I kind of saw some things repeating. And this is what uh, I came up with, is that there are three phases to living the Christian life. And uh, the first one is, uh, what's it going to give me? What can I get out of it? Mm-hmm. what's in it for me. And that is that you're a Christian because of the benefits, mm-hmm. the blessings, the promises comes with a nice package. Yeah. And you know, people have needs and, uh, and they know that. And so what draws them to being a Christian person are the needs and the promise of having those needs met in some fashion in the uh,
0: prayer of God, if you'll do this, I'll follow you. Or oh, definitely. If, yeah, oh yeah. It's or, all about what am I going to get out of Yeah.
1: It's just like, You know, some people, uh, they'll become a Christian person because it's the last chance they have to get the answer to their question (laughs) or they have the last chance to get their need met. And Mm so uh, Jesus did a lot of talking about those kinds of things, though. I mean, he talked about blessings. He talked about mansions. He talked about families. He talked about gifts and fellowship. I mean, he really— Peace. Yeah, peace and protection Mm and— All the things that in in Jesus' day would have been premium stuff, you know, with the Roman Empire there, and so you know that's the first phase. And after a while, I said, "Well, there's a crisis that occurs somewhere in that process. It's different for different people, but the crisis is uh, you get to the point of realizing that Jesus died on the cross for you." Because when my daughter Amanda wanted to become a Christian, uh, you know, I said. well, Amanda, you know that our basic understanding is that Jesus died on the cross for our our sins and your sins. What does that mean? Why did Jesus die for you, Amanda? And Amanda said, because I'm basically a good person. I'm good. I mean, you know, she was like 11 years old. I'm a good person. Of course, Jesus would die for me. And I would had to tell her, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know,
0: that's. So people, but that's an answer I hear even thirty year olds and forty year olds giving is Yeah, the question of if you get to the gate and and whoever meets you there, Saint Peter or whoever, says, <laughs> "Why should I let you into heaven?" What would your response be? And in your response is your theology. Yeah, and if the if the response is, "I've never killed anybody," <laughs> right, I'm or basically never, a good person.
1: Yeah, I've never cheated on my tax returns, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's that's gonna say. <laughs> that's where the trap door comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you're eleven
0: or fifty, I've heard it. <laughs> that's right, Yeah.
1: And so, so anyway, uh, at some point, the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus makes it inside, and that creates a crisis because then uh, you realize I can't do this just for what I'm going to get out of it. There's mm. other obligations at work here, and uh, you know that's. So they move to the next phase, and that is to overdo it and that is what can I do for it mm-hmm. and so the the idea is that I'm going to now work hard I'm going to be actively involved in the church I'm actually even going to go to evening worship service to show mm. how committed I am and you know if mission uh, trips and yeah oh, and in yeah, 2 hours of devotional time and yeah. that sort of thing so it's you know it's Paul on the road to Damascus essentially mm. Paul was that guy who says if there are people out there that are, you know, teaching and preaching against uh, Christians, well, I'm going to go kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, whatever, I'm going to double it, yeah. you know. And so that was the, the person that was on the Damascus Road when he yeah. met Jesus, was that phase two person. Yeah. Well, as a pastor, I love phase two people, because they're the ones that are going to work wherever you say. Yeah. I mean, they're going to do lay leadership work. They're going to work on the council. They're going to work in the community. They're going to work in the church. Mm. They're going to give more money than everybody else. They're going to, I mean, it's like, yeah, I they'll, mean,
0: I'll say yes to any requests.
1: Exactly. Because, you know, they're, they're trying not just to earn their way hmm. through all this, but they're trying to be the best. They're trying, they see it as also as a competition. Right. And so, you know, the, what can I do for it? And it being the church Christianity. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, uh, they also enter into a crisis after a while. Now, the, uh, the problem that we face in the church with that is that these people are the ones that are, by their very lifestyle, are promoting the concept that what it means to be a Christian is to be good. Mm-hmm. And people outside the church see that, and they say, well, I can be good without the church, so it's you know tough mm-hmm. to witness to them.
0: Or I've seen that person that says they're good, but I saw yeah. them at the ball field or whatever, Yeah,
1: yeah or On the golf course, mm-hmm. yeah, or bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good.
0: Now you're meddling. I know, but that's just, <laughs> so. The phase you know, one, let me make sure I'm tracking with you on that. Phase one is that it's we get into Christianity about what is this, how's this going to help me, yeah. bless me, and sometimes uh, sermons are directed that way. If you'll just accept Jesus, everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a,
1: an entire theology out there about that called prosperity theology, and right. so you know, in other words, that if you have faith that. The latest one is this spiritual water that they're selling online. If you get spiritual water, then oh. and they uh, they talk about how they got uh, you know thirty five thousand dollars debt paid, or they had you know they mm-hmm. just got a gift of a hundred thousand dollars all that kind of stuff because they had the spirit water. And oh goodness, you know it's a that's targeting phase one Christians, yes, but, or non Christians. It's in or, that whole yeah, phase, that yeah, because yeah, they're not very different from non Christians. You know that's the mere men thing mm-hmm. that Paul wrote about. And so, so
0: phase two then is, okay, now we, the crisis is the cross. What am I going to behold the man? What am I going to do with Jesus right. here?
1: Well, he's such a worthy and sacrificial, and he's done so much for me, so I'm going to do a lot for for Jesus. I'm going to pay Jesus back. Yes, which is, it's really a Southern thing, too, in many ways. It's like <laughs> it's like somebody will come up and say, thank you for doing this, and your answer is, well, well thank you. Uh-huh. I don't know for what. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for thanking me. But that's exactly what I'm
0: talking But so then the second is, what can I do for 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 Christian, Christianity. For Jesus. Or, so these are the people that work hard and burn out. Yes. You know, one of our pastors uh, used to say this. He said, well, they, you know, these people get, they, they become super Christians. Yeah. And this pastor used to say to him, if, if you are at the bar every night or at the church every night, the result's the same. You're not with your family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see where that almost abuse happens for people who are willing to uh, check the box of moral obligation here, and and uh, what can I do? What's the crisis that they face before you go to phase three?
1: Well, they face that no progress has been made. They've invested this time, this energy, these feelings, these thoughts, these whatever it is that they're processing through their mind, and after a while they look at their lives and it's, it's no... Closer to God than it was three years, five years, ten years ago, mm. and there is the basic assumption that uh, putting in the time as a Christian is enough to generate fruit. Mm. You know, e- things of eternal value. Right. And what you know, even if they were, they're sitting there working this through in their mind, thinking, "Well, if I, you know, even if I was doing really the wrong thing or wasn't doing it good enough or fast enough or whatever, at least I should get credit." yeah <laughs> in some fashion, some token or something, and that's when they they realize that it's it's it is not their contribution that they have a genuine awareness of what grace is, and that is unmerited favor and the way in which I explain it to them is that grace is easy to understand anything that's a wage is not grace, mm. anything that you earn is a wage and not grace, and so uh it's um. Even if it's cheap, I mean, that was what Bonhoeffer's book was about. Mm-hmm. It says, it. You know, even if you had to, instead of paying a million dollars to get God's grace or God's favor, you spend 10, it's still not grace.
0: Mm. So how does this phase three person,
1: how does their life change
0: once they get into phase three from phase two?
1: Well, it becomes a relationship with Christ. I mean, it the way I normally exper- exper- explain it and experience it, is to say it's just Jesus, mm-hmm. and you realize that um, you know most of what you've been trying to work away from and overcome, and and all of that. Jesus already knows that, and that um, you know the greatest fear that we have is that people will get to know us as we really are and run away screaming, and then and so a lot of this work has been to distract Jesus from us. Uh. <laughs> you know and uh we we talk about how omnipotent Jesus is and then we kind of treat Jesus as if he doesn't know anything uh huh and uh well, it's and like we, it's
0: like that one author said that you know in the gospels Jesus never told us to worship him he only told us to follow him exactly but it's a lot easier to just show up on a, in worship yes but also to truly follow
1: it's one of the you know i I try to uh keep my pet peeves to myself Because it's just like people always miss it. But one of the pet peeves I have is that a person, what they consider themselves doing is praying, and they're informing God about things. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, know, God, we've had a bad year. Really? (laughs) It's like, hey, can't you just picture Jesus going, wait a minute, everybody stop. Yeah, let me see the P and
0: Ls. Let's go and say they've had a
1: bad year this year. <laughs> yeah, it's like Peter. Why don't you tell me? Yeah, I mean I've been in my desk every single day. You walk through my office and you never told me they had a bad year. What's up with that? And so you know, it's yeah, uh, you know, I you know you know the uh, it's just one of those things where who are you talking to? Yeah. And so when you get to this point where you are um, you know in a fellowship in a in a connection, in a—I always kind of picture it as it's you and Jesus and the whole world's a mountain, and sometimes it's cold on the mountain, sometimes it's windy and uncomfortable, but essentially there is a, a certain privacy that goes with that mm. in your everyday life. And, you know, you—one uh, of the ways in which I try to help people to understand experience this was uh, I ask them this question— I said, when was the last time you told Jesus that you love Him? Hmm. I mean, this is—I mean, practice with me. I love you, Jesus. <laughs> and I have to say, and you know that's that's very uncomfortable for them because for a lot of them, they're not telling anybody they love them. Hmm. Of course, my wife knows I love her. Right. <laughs> kind of <thing. laughs> I told her on our wedding. And I was going to and... say She was there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anything changes? I
1: mean, I'll... we ate the cake. Yeah. She knows I love her, <laughs> and uh, but the uh, but. You know, we talk a lot about believing in Jesus. Uh we talk a lot about um understanding Jesus or appreciating Jesus, but you're not in a relationship with anybody that you're not talking to in the first person. Hmm. And so uh you know, the 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 good thing about that is that uh after they have done that, they begin to do that all day every day. <laughs> yeah, it's that personal relationship <laughs> yeah. concept, yeah. And so Uh, actually, it's more Jesus becoming alive for the first time, Hmm. I think, because prayer can be done so poorly that it makes Jesus less alive to you. Really? Yeah. Because as you're praying, you are not talking in the normal language. If I have to come up with a prayer language in the sense of using shouldst and couldst and canst and all that kind of stuff (laughs) uh, that I have a a language that's not my own. I yeah. try to use English when I talk with Jesus, and I try to use the same kind of verbs, <laughs> you know, uh, progression in when I talk with Jesus, because also I try not to use Jesus' name every every six seconds either. That's another thing, too, that, you know, uh, that having a—if you know somebody and love somebody, and they love you, you don't use their name all the time. Yeah. And so I have lay people and pre- preacher-type people They'll get up, stand up in the church, and they'll do the prayer, and it's like Jesus. We just want you to know that we love you, Jesus. And Jesus, we just believe in you. And Jesus, take care of us today. And, yeah. and there's only one person that talks to me that way that I know of. That's hmm. a car salesman. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like Jay. It's good to see you today. How's it going with you? Have you seen our latest over yeah, here? Right. I I understand that you like red. I I went out, Jay. I got you a Jay Red yeah. car over here. <laughs> And so
0: it feels like a forced connection, yeah, and uh, how do you see this um, you, you when you were sharing with me before we got on the recording about this correlating into marriage, and so for some of our listeners today, I think that really brings it home too. How would you say these three phases of the Christian the relationship with
1: God also works in a relationship with marriage? I, I think that Paul really helps us there in Ephesians when he equates marriage with the church, mm-hmm. the relationship between church and five. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. If you want to get all that specific on it. Yeah. Ephesians <laughs> five. <laughs> Just trying to help our listeners here. That's <laughs> good. And the speaker doesn't, <laughs> needs that. the, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is the bride of uh, the church is the bride of Christ. And then he goes on and talks about how husbands and wives relate in that dynamic there. And so, you know, there's, there's already scriptural overlap for that. Yeah. And so, uh, but I've embraced that a long time. I felt like I would learn more about God from being married, hmm. you know, and being married to somebody, because I learned about love that way. Uh, I learned about uh, the aliens that are among us, mm-hmm. women. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I say that in jokingly, but in a lot of the counseling that I've done with couples getting married, most of the problems that they have is that the men want their wives to... Act like men, mm-hmm. and women want their husbands to act like women, and you know they just don't have the same skill sets.
0: Right,
1: and so uh, you know the idea that uh, you know I entered into the relationship with Anne with what I could get out of it, mm-hmm. and you know after a while I realized what a wonderful person she was, and so I was in the relationship for what I could do in it, and uh, and you know I kind of wanted people to see me as having had a good having a good marriage and. Mm-hmm. A, you know, see me as a good husband. I want this. The, the reason that you work so hard is not so much for the way you really are. It's how you want other people to see you. Right. And so you're serving Christ in that fashion and just so that you can get other people's approval. So, and then, um, uh, after a while you realize that it's just about, and that's it. And, and so just love
0: for your wife. Yeah.
1: And, uh, it creates, uh, almost something that's unique. I, um, uh, you know, the, the Ephesians things, I'd like to share with you sometime about it, that Ephesians because it uh, one of the things that, if, that it does so well is it talks about how love actually works in a marriage, but also there is a goal for marriage. And, um, you know, the the basic idea is that if you are married for X number of years, that's a good marriage. And, you know, my grandparents celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary a few years before they died, and, you know, that... I mean, on the whole, that's um, that's right up there with Queen Elizabeth II. But, yeah. And uh, but that's not what Ephesians five says. It it talks about how Jesus worked with the church in such a way that they were holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. My job as the husband in this particular relationship is to present my wife holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. And so that that's my goal, and that's that's how. Christ created that and you know the the holy part's pretty simple in the sense that of the 4 billion women in the world <laughs> this, she's the only one. Mm-hmm. That's what holiness is. Mm. Of all the many gods that are out there there's just one god right. and that's what makes Christ holy. And so you know she has to be the only one. Mm. And I have to communicate that to her and make that happen. Blameless and that is that uh, that I do not blame Anne for the things about me that are broken. Mm-hmm. You know, that was it's what not her fault. Well, see <laughs> you're gonna push me on that, aren't you? No, yeah, that's what Adam did. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, so Adam, so why'd you eat the apple again? She's broken. Exactly. <laughs> she then, did it.
0: And then she blames the serpent.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's just uh, you know, what goes along comes along. <laughs> and but the point is that that she needs my job in this life is to ensure that she feels blameless and understands herself as blameless yeah, that's, in our relationship. That's really good. And then the other one is beyond reproach, and and that is that uh, the the challenges, the gaps, the brokenness, the fears that she has within herself that I come along alongside those things to help her overcome. Those things Mm -hmm. that uh, we cannot, if we're afraid of something, we cannot convince ourselves not to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. But somebody else can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And so I can be afraid of something and, you know, I can't convince myself not to, or I can't, uh, there are things I can't do myself. And that's between Christ and the church. That's the important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't save ourselves. We can't grow in the spirit. We can't develop the fruit of the spirit without the spirit. Right. And so the, the work that is done to us is not done by us is done to us. And the same is true in all relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the essence of love is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I always tell people that love is vulnerability in the face of given power. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like, it's not going to go on Valentine's. So don't <laughs> even get, it. but the, the essence of vulnerability is to give power to somebody else. Yeah. If I know your secrets, I have power over you. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we give those secrets and share those things is to give people power through our vulnerability. And the power is used to build rather than to destroy. Because what we're afraid of is that somebody learns our secret and then they use that against us. Well, right. I'm supposed to be the person in Anne's life which knows her secrets right. and her vulnerabilities and I protect them mm-hmm. and I guard them and I help them get healed or get better uh because uh you know I, one of the most interesting things I learned about God I learned from Anne in this fashion uh I had three brothers and played sports and all this kind of stuff I learned that as far as Anne was concerned my opinion of her meant more than anything else hmm. and you know that that was part of that we had a situation one day where I she demonstrated that for me and I just didn't get it for a while because she's Asked me one time if she was a good person. Hmm. And so I said, you cook, you clean, you know, um, you do all these kinds of neat things. So, yeah, are you a good person? And she goes, no. Am I a good person? And I'm thinking, did I miss something here? I'm going to get another. I came up with three more, which was, you know, not that difficult because I was, you know, jamming up for our anniversary. (laughs) And so, uh, and she goes, no. Do you think I'm a good person? And this is the thought that went through my mind. It can't be that easy. Hmm. It just can't be. But I'm going to try it anyway. Yes, I think you're a good person. And she said, that's all I needed to know. And she walked into the kitchen, started cooking supper. And I go, what just happened here? <laughs> uh, and so it-, it felt really, like you've been tested somehow. Yeah, you know, but it's, I realized that I was treating her like a man. Hmm. You know, me, if you ask me, I'm a good person. I went three for four in a softball game. I got an A on my, you know, theology Mm -hmm. term paper. You know, I, you know, bold of, you know, know, 280 game. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm a good person. And Mm -hmm. so uh, that's how guys answer that question. We look at the things that are on our wall, the plaques and the rewards and the salary. Achievements, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good breadwinner. And so, uh, but, you know, the way she was processing life was relational. Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, I have never been... A person's number one relationship.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, you know the uh, that plays out in your relationship with Christ. You've never hmm. been a number one relationship with somebody until you get that point where it's just me and Christ. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's um, that really sums it up for me. And yeah, that that really discipleship, uh, the spiritual life, the deeper spiritual life is is about coming to the place that it's really just it's not about where we've been or what we've done. It's about who we, who we know and who mm-hmm. we are, and that's, that's our relationship that's with, it. with Christ, and it works that way, too, in marriage. Well, Jay, thank you for, oh. for blessing our audience today. You're and, very um, welcome. If you'd like more information about uh, 419 Disciple Makers, you can go to the, to the website and, and invite somebody to this podcast. It's been a pleasure being with you. Now, uh, my prayer for you is that you'll go out there and make the Great Commission, making disciples of Jesus uh, the lifestyle that you live. God
1: bless. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org.